gather together from the far reaches of the internet are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero Superman Superman Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend, featuring the thrilling adventures of Superman, Golden Age Superman, the Superman Fan Podcast, Superman in the Bronze Age, From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman Podcast, the Schuster Herald Podcast, it's Superman, the Carousel Podcast, the Amateur Steel, a John Henry Allen Podcast. The world's best podcast and Radio Kale from supermanhomepage.com. Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer, J. David Weeder, Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, Scott Gardner, Sam Rizzo, Danny Sapp, Matthew Epps. I'm Isaac, I'm Adam, Dave Eunice, and co host Scotty V at supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical transcriptions or tape recordings. Rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton, Kal-El came to Earth, whose environment gave him fantastic powers. In Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil the world over as Superman. <laughs> Aloha, and welcome to the 98th episode of Superman in the Bronze Age. My name is Charlie Niemeyer, and I will be hosting this show until the end of time. Or, or you know, August. Whichever comes first. Today we're going to talk about Superman, because that, that's what the show's about. In the Bronze Age, even. And stuff. And right up front, I want to extend well wishes to my co-host, J. David Weeder, as he's currently, as he puts it, gurgling razor wire. As such, contrary to what I said at the end of the last episode, there will be no D- Dave Weeder Presents this time. Get well soon, pal. Because I can't do this all on my own. Uh, next up, it's time to acknowledge our sponsor for today's episode, In Stock Trades. They have the comic book trades you want, and even the ones you don't, at greatly discounted prices. Plus, orders over $50 get free shipping. You can check them out at InStockTrades.com. Next is a segment that I think I'm going to start calling Feedback from Russell Bragg. In this week's installment, Russell writes, Hi, Charlie and Dave, since you told me I could call him that. Thanks for answering my question last episode. I was hoping I could answer yours, too, about Superman and Aquaterra, but I couldn't find anything. I even looked for it with Superboy, but no soap. Get, well, you weren't looking for so- soap. That must be a West Virginia thing. Anyway, guess Superman doesn't know what he's talking about. Great synopsis by you on issues 318 and 319. Oh, thanks. I had forgotten that I did actually have those two comics, and I also have the two you'll be talking about today. Weird. Then my collection skips to 326. This is a stupid question because I should know the answer. But where did you find that sound clip of Solomon Grundy want pants too? I know I've heard it before, and Michael Bailey says it all the time, but I just can't place it. 
tell David that I'm thoroughly enjoying his segment. I thought we were calling him Dave now. Anyway, I do miss the talk about Superboy, but DC Comics Presents was always one of my favorite comics. It's another comic that I'm trying to get a full run of, only 20 issues to go. You both do such a great job. Hope this episode finds you healthy and happy. Thanks to both of you for keeping me entertained at work. Well, you're very welcome, and thank you for writing, Russell. Well, this issue, this episode finds me healthy and happy, mostly, because I'm recording it on a Friday, and work is finished for the week. And, and you know, Dave's sick. Anyway, the Grundy clip was from a commercial that Cartoon Network aired years ago, uh, where they took a scene from an episode of The Challenge of the Super Friends and redubbed it to be a bit more comical. Here's the audio from it in its entirety. The meeting will come to order. The Legion of Doom is now in session. In a short while, the super... Uh, yes, Brainiac. I was wondering, Luthor, if I could perhaps get a pair What of... we need are a few items to help us in our perfect plan to stop the super friends. Cheetah, you have razor-sharp claws. Brainiac, your mind games are deadly. Scarecrow, you're, you're, you're made of straw. What more do you need? How about utility belt? What? Batman and Robin have them. Solomon Grundy want one, too. With utility belt, Bizarro will crush the super friends. Crush them! I want a magic lasso, Lex. Can I get a seahorse? I demand more toys! Oh, enough of this! What do I look like, Santa Claus? We're wasting valuable time. Right now, my dream reverberator is changing the super friends into our slaves. Uh, excuse me. Brainiac, what is it? Look, I just want some pants. A decent pair of pants. <clears throat> Solomon Grundy want pants too. Also, just so you know, Russell, <clears throat> I did pass your other question to Dave, but he can't talk right now, and since sign language doesn't work well in an audio podcast, he'll just get back to you on the next episode. And I, I do want to thank you very much for trying to find out about Aquaterra. I'm thinking it was just part of an untold adventure that Pasco never got around to telling, but, you know, who knows? There's been so many Superman stories told in all these years, and this was right around his 40th anniversary. Maybe we just are missing something. I don't know. But now that I've embarrassed Russell and thanked him a lot, here's some promos. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. I prowl the rooftops and alleyways at night, searching for justice. Blind justice. A guardian devil. (coughs) No, 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 that's not actually true. I'm not Daredevil. Blind attorney by day and fearless crime fighter by night. No, I am J. David Weeder, a podcaster. But you can call me Dave. I do read about Daredevil and his adventures, and I podcast about it on my show, Dave's Daredevil Podcast. You see, it's, it's my Daredevil. You get it, you get it. Every Sunday, I read a Daredevil comic and share my thoughts and feelings on the issue, the characters, and the world of Marvel's Man Without Fear in an easily accessible audio form. And I want to take you along for the ride, so tune in each week as we meet Daredevil, his villains, his loves, and more hornhead goodness than you can shake a billy club at. That is every Sunday on iTunes and at www.daredevilpodcast.com. That is daredevilpodcast.com. Take the dare. Listen to Dave's Daredevil Podcast. Did I really just say take the dare? The dawn of an age. 
the founding of a family. You know we haven't done enough research into the effects of cosmic rays. We've got to take that chance. Conditions are right tonight. Let's go. They're penetrating the ship. Our shielding isn't strong enough. I feel like I'm burning up. Too heavy. Can't move. Too heavy. We're all alive. I feel so strange. You're fading away. I can't see you at all anymore. Look what's happened to you. You're changing. Oh, Reed, not you too. What happened to me? To all of us. I can fly. We gotta use that power to help mankind, right? And so was born the Fantastic Four. For soon, the mole man will have the entire world in his power. I am the mightiest living mortal on Earth. And in half, mankind shall feel that might. The Fantastic Four. Little do they dream they're the palms in the hands of Dr. Doom. The Human Torch will be the puppet master's next Victim. You earthlings can't change the way I can. That means I'm the most powerful person on Earth. I've been expecting you, for I am a thinker. I vow never to return, my lord, until the Fantastic Four are no more and the planet Earth is no more. You're in the presence of the awesome Ralatons, King of Kings, Master of Men, and Lord of the Seven Sons. Fool, you're just a muscular freak. Blind or hope. Stop! You must not enter the castle of Diablo. My journey has ended. This planet shall sustain him to the drain of all elemental life. So speak, Galactus. Flame on! It's clobbering time! The Fantastic Four from the very beginning witnessed the origins of a legend. The Fantasticast. ffcast.libsyn.com we now return to Superman and the Bronze Age. Alright, our first issue this episode is Superman 320, which had a cover date of February 1978 and an on-sale date of November 7th, 1977, with a cover price of just 35 cents. And as always, that issue data comes from Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics at www.dcindexes.com, where he also covers things like Marvel Comics and Charlton Comics and other comic companies. Anyway, the title of this issue is The Absolute Power Play of the Parasite. Can you guess who the villain is this issue? The writer is Martin Pascoe. The penciler is Kurt Swan, inked by Frank Schiermonte, lettered by Ben Oda, colored by Jerry Serpe, and edited by Julie Schwartz. This issue picks up right where last issue left off. Solomon Grundy is still pulling on Superman's cape while holding Superman down to the ground. While this should just pull the cape right off from Superman's shirt, as you would imagine, it actually ends up defying physics and stretches enough for Grundy to wrap it around the action ace's neck in an attempt to choke the life out of him. But, since Superman doesn't really need to breathe, as we all know, this doesn't really do much for him. But in a move that surprises even the Parasite, who is currently watching through some binoculars on the rooftop of a building, I think across the street, Superman still has enough air in his lungs to blow Grundy away. Since Grundy is still hanging on to the cape, this actually pulls Superman up into a standing position. Then, Superman starts drilling into the ground, which pulls Grundy back towards him so that he can punch the monster away. 
And while we waste half a page for Parasite to remind us of his plans and how his power prism allows him to give power rather than taking it, Superman's punch is, has sent Grundy flying, causing him to get wedged between two cable cars that just happened to be passing by each other at the same, at that moment, and with the super friction of the impact fusing the cars to his body. Since it's the middle of the night and the only occupants are a few winos using the cars for a flop house, Superman is able to quickly clear out the cars. Then, after realizing something about what Solomon Grundy's been after this whole time, uh, Superman heads out to Clark Kent's apartment, grabs a non-super super cape from the secret closet, and then the Man of Steel wraps it around Grundy to pacify him. After all of this, Parasite realizes that his prism wasn't as effective on Grundy because he isn't really alive. So as Superman flies off toward Mooney Island, Parasite hits him with a beam from his prism. Meanwhile, in the city room of the Daily Planet, Lois Lane has fallen asleep at her typewriter. They used to use those to type out stories in the old days. And she's spotted by the only other employee still at the office at that hour, Perry White. Lois has really been pushing herself since she was humiliated in front of Morgan Edge last issue by Lana, and as they talk, Lois reveals that while she's still upset about breaking up with Clark and how she had hoped that they could still be friends, she's also thought she'd be able to get back together with Superman, but that relationship has also cooled to the point where she rarely sees him anymore. The discussion is interrupted by the teletype machine, printing out information about Superman's battle with the giant mechanical octopus at Mooney Island. Apparently, Superman stopped at a nearby amusement park that is closed for the winter, dismantled the carousel completely, used super karate chops to carve jagged teeth into the floor disc of the carousel, and then flung it at the robot, severing several of its arms. However, the mechanical octopus fired off vibrating harpoons, which pinned Superman to the lighthouse by his cape. Personally, this makes no sense to me, as I would think that they would completely pass through the cape, but that doesn't excuse the fact that Superman should be able to just take off his cape, as we already had a complaint, as I already complained about earlier. So this really shouldn't be any kind of hindrance at all, even though it is. Anyway, Lois decides that she's going to get an eyewitness report, and since it's late and he doesn't want her going off by herself in her tired condition, Perry decides to go with her. And since he's a more experienced pilot, he takes her out in the flying newsroom. Back at Mooney Island. Superman uses his X-ray vision to check out the men inside the octopus, before recalling being asked to stop the invasion last issue. At this point, Superman goes completely out of character, which is actually a plot point this time, and gets mentioned in a caption, and gets good and angry that the U.S. military would think he was dumb enough to stop the invaders without asking any questions. This burst of anger allows him to pop the harpoons free, sending two of them at the octopus. Unfortunately, the other two crash into the WGBS flying newsroom, which just showed up at that moment. Superman takes off to catch the helicopter, but ends up overshooting it. Not letting that stop him, and in some beautiful art by Kurt Swan, he actually flips around, flies back down under the helicopter to try again, but when he grabs it, he ends up squeezing it like an accordion, sending both reporters flying out. To save them, he uses super suction breath to slow their descent and allow them to land gently, as if they were using parachutes. Later, after he's wrapped the invaders in the remains of the octopus tentacles, Superman decides that he wants to see what is going on inside the lighthouse that is causing such a stir. 
When he sees that the glass is opaque and his x-ray vision is blocked by lead, he just busts in and discovers the Laser Defense System Orbital Tracking Station, aka the LDS, that the parasite kept calling words and was so worried about last issue. Speaking of the parasite, he's still in Metropolis, gloating to himself over his plan. He's increased Superman's power to the point that he will become drunk on it. All he needs is the proper push, and he'll go berserk. And while he won't be able to stop himself, he'll end up killing himself, trying. Upset that the U.S. government would create a defense system when they've got him, and after all his years of defending the country, Superman starts smashing things, at which point some MPs barge in. That's military police for those that don't know. Uh, but they barge in and place Superman under arrest for illegal entry into a restricted area and the destruction of government property. Now, you, you don't think this could anger Superman even more, do you? Well, we, we don't find out this issue because that's where it ends. Notes for this issue. Once again, like last episode, I really don't have many page-by-page -page notes just because, well, most of the stuff that I would have pointed out, I pointed out in the notes. Uh... Let's see, though. But I will say that overall, this was pretty intriguing. Other than a couple of those snafus, because, see, I know the saying is you don't tug on Superman's cape, but literally, he just has it tucked into the blue shirt. So, that shouldn't hold him. It's not like Batman, who's got it tied around his neck as part of the cowl, sometimes. And it's not directly attached permanently to the costume. It's a cape that is tucked into the shirt. But whatever. Uh, I do, like I mentioned before, this, the pseudoscience of those vibrating harpoons kind of confuses me because you would think that if it was vibrating, they'd have to know the exact vibrating, vibrational frequency to go through the super cape, but not go through the actual lighthouse itself. And considering that the cape is Kryptonian fabric, it's supposed to be pretty dense. So if it was dense enough to go through the cape, it should also pass through the lighthouse. Theoretically. And then it only goes halfway through the cape. I, I, it hurts my head, so I'm just going to keep going. Now, I would like to point out that there are dead people at this lighthouse. Um, while Superman's literally hanging around the outside of the lighthouse, we see at least four soldiers, or MPs, that were taken have been taken out. They're lying there dead. So, you know, the, 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 these are pretty high stakes. And I like that we finally have something, uh, Superman going out of character, and it's a plot point. It's nice, because usually it, it isn't, and it kind of sucks. And as I mentioned in the synopsis, page 14, when Superman misses the helicopter, he, we actually see him literally in one smooth motion just kind of flips around. He makes a loop around the helicopter and tries a second time. You don't really see many or really good depictions of of him anyway of superman having doing any uh what do you want to call it Manu many maneuvers up in space usually he's just flying landing flying landing that kind of thing so it's nice to see him do this little loop around that was really cool now the other thing people would start wondering because i wondered it too 
Now, I've seen Superman pre-crisis and post-crisis, and I possibly even knew 52, but I honestly don't remember, where he's lost his powers, but or he's gotten super or amped up his powers, had his powers amped up or out of control. And he, he doesn't do this whole drunk with power thing. So you've got to be wondering what the difference is this time. Why is it that, I mean, why is he suddenly going nuts for a little bit? But th that's also going to be answered in a couple issues, so I'm just going to shut up now. I do like the fact that this issue's from 1978, 77, 78, depending on which date you want to go with. And when he busts into the uh, the LDS, he does mention that it looks like uh, a, it looks like a cross between NASA Mission Control and a set from Star Wars. So that's kind of cool, you know, keeping up with the modern references. Uh, even though you know, for us, it's like 40 years. Uh, 30 years out of date, but, you know, Star Wars will always be Star Wars and awesome, so. Uh, but overall, I thought it was a really interesting story. I'm, I'm, I was very interested to see what super, what happens with Superman from here, and what a heck of a cliffhanger. You're waiting for him to go kill himself, and in the process, Superman's about being arrested by normal humans, and you're thinking... If he doesn't kill himself, is he going to end up killing these people? So that's something to look forward to. And we don't. And the fun thing about doing this podcast is that we don't have to wait a month. We get to look at it right after these promos. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. My name is Grundy, born on a Monday. The following recording was taken from an NSA wiretap of a Back to the Men's taping. No names have been changed. Everyone is guilty. Do I need to mine, or am I good where I'm at? Well, now you do. <laughs> if I have to mine, you have to yours. You might want to yours only if you do have it set to automatically because you don't want it to automatically because the thing never works right. Because what will happen is it'll be used to you at a particular and then if you go out of that it scrambles to uh, a and it doesn't fast enough. So it's better to just set it up. Oh, okay. It, do it really doesn't work well. So I checked right. uh, I checked my, uh, mm -hmm. well, my it definitely built, built me for the hotel for all three of us. Join Back to the Bins every week for goodness. Solomon Grundy hate voiceovers. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's supermanhomepage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. Supermanhomepage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. Supermanhomepage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the man. Man of Steel and more. SupermanHomePage.com. We now return to Superman and the Bronze Age. All right, and our second issue of the episode is Superman number 321, which had a cover date of March 1978 and an on-sale date of December the 5th, 1977, and still maintained that cover price of 35 cents. 
The title of this issue is Too Strong to Survive, written by Marty Pasco, penciled by Kurt Swan, inked by Frank Charamante, lettered by Milt Snappen, colored by Jerry Serpe, and edited by Julie Schwartz. In other words, the exact same uh, crew from the last issue. Upset that the military want to arrest him, Superman shouts, How dare you! But he shouts it so loud that it sends the men flying back into the wall. They quickly recover and fire their laser rifles, because in a code-approved comic you can't shoot bullets, apparently. Even though it's Superman. Hello. Anyway, uh, this only angers him enough to throw a super punch. He misses, and we don't know if it's on purpose or not, because they don't say. But the shockwaves knock the, all the MPs out. Plus, it also sends a huge chunk of the wall outward toward Lois and Perry, who are currently being detained by another officer outside. Superman hops out and ends up crashing into the ground, but he quickly hops back up to the surface and grabs the officer, threatening him. At this point, we take a quick sec to check in on the parasite, who reminds us of his part in all of this. Normally, I'd skip this, but he also details his part two of his plan, which involves recording a ransom note to the city council for $1 billion, and that he will use a face mask and wig to dress up as Raymond Maxwell Jensen for some kind of appointment at Metropolis University. Back at Mooney Island, Superman is about to give that officer a punch. He won't soon forget, or, you know, will take his head off so he won't be able to remember it when he is suddenly seized by an overwhelming pain. The kind of pain that comes from all of his hearing and sight powers turning on to full power all at the same time, allowing him to literally, or maybe figuratively, basically, to hear and see everything, and I do mean everything, that can be heard or seen in the entire universe. And looking at this splash page, we hear him, we see... Well, numbers floating around, so I'm guessing clock ticks. Helicopter flying, jets flying, jet engines flying. He's seeing through people. He's hearing phones ring and alarm bells ring and trains going across train tracks. Bells are ringing. Um, for some reason, we see what appears to be the Eiffel Tower. Don't know what's up with that. Maybe it's something we can't tell because the art's messed up or something. I don't know. Uh, it's, it looks like a semi-driving, a jackhammer, uh, jackhammering, a speaker, the parasite recording his message about the whole ransom thing, um, a policeman yelling over the radio, and a police car, and I'm guessing it sirens are going off. And that's just the examples. That's just the stuff on Earth. If he can hear everything in the entire universe. I mean, he's got to be hearing, like, the sun exploding because it does that. And, yeah. Oh, and, uh, I don't know what this other thing is. It looks like a, a chunk of hair caught on a needle, or a thread going through a needle. But it's kind of hard to tell because the, the uh, caption box is covering, but apparently he it's so acute that he can hear thread being threaded through a needle pretty crazy. Fortunately, Lois is there, and she helps him regain his focus and control over his powers. This allows him to realize that he really does care for her and how much he actually loves her, and to thank her for helping him, she, he gives her a kiss. Just like in Superman 2. And just like in Superman 2, with Superman's powers still amped up, he literally takes her breath away, causing her to faint. 
Realizing there isn't much else he can do in his current condition, he leaves Lois in Perry's care and heads back to Metropolis, but since he can't trust his flying ability, he walks back to Metropolis. Even though that involves entering the water around the island and walking on the surface, way down below the water, until he gets to the city and can climb back up. We don't see it, but it kind of makes me think of uh, every, uh, when Superman came back from the dead and he had to walk through the o the Atlantic Ocean in the Kryptonian battle armor suit. It made me think of that for some reason. Probably because you're walking on the surface of the ocean. Anyway, it takes several hours, but when he finally reaches the city, he's attacked by the Parasite, who quickly teleports both of them to a desert, then uses his power prism to increase Superman's powers even more, which causes him to grow until he busts. But before that happens, Superman wakes up. Apparently, he fell asleep in his chair in Clark Kent's apartment after returning from the city, or returning to the city. As he wonders why his dream included the Parasite, he realizes that he needs to head to the Fortress of Solitude. Meanwhile, at Metropolis University, a disguised Parasite meets up with Professor Hadley, one of the men behind the LDS. It touches him enough to absorb some of his energy, and the Professor passes out. Parasite then takes the Professor to his office. And then we cut to the Fortress of Solitude, which now has a Superman-shaped hole in the front door. Inside, Superman is playing Super Chemist, creating some sort of concoction that he says will bring an end to his power problem. We then jump back to the university again, where the professor regains consciousness, but has apparently refused to tell the villain how the LDS works. So Parasite touches the professor's head, taking the information, but unfortunately this leaves the professor in a vegetative state. At this point, Superman shows up and knocks the parasite through the wall, explaining that his powers are now under control because that concoction he created was basically a suntan lotion designed to block the yellow, the yellow rays of our sun and allow only the red ones to penetrate his skin, which is bringing his powers back to normal control. As they tussle, Superman also explains that he knew about the parasite because he heard him recording the ransom message during that time his powers were out of whack it just took a while to process all the stuff that he had heard and when he thought about the parasite that popped into his head also during the tussle parasite explains that tomorrow in space a u.s spaceship which looks like oddly like a space shuttle is supposed to fire a high intensity laser at the lds which is supposed to fire back in the in the case that it doesn't fire back, you know, laser defense system. It's supposed to at least deflect the laser into the ocean. But Parasite is planning to use the LDS to deflect that beam so it will actually hit and destroy Metropolis. Oh, and as they take to the skies, Parasite also explains that during the fight and that long explanation, he's been draining he's been using his power prism to drain Superman's powers at a distance. Powers which cut out at just that moment, leaving the action ace in free fall and about to be impaled by the pointed top of a clock tower. Now this time you're going to have to wait two, two weeks to find out the conclusion of that because that's it for this episode. As far as the story, I still got my notes. Once again, I, I don't have the page by page because really, these are it's getting hard to do page by page notes. I will note that on page 7, they do go back to we do go back and see that Solomon Grundy is still wrapped up at the cable cars and is still not able to be freed. Believe it or not, he will still be there next issue. Uh, having Lois help Superman get it, 
back control of his powers. Reminds me of so many of the post-crisis Superman stories that I've read that it was really kind of cool, and it didn't seem at all weird to see. I don't know how often something like that happened pre-crisis, but it was really cool to see. Also, when Superman decides that he's going to walk back to Metropolis, something about the artwork there, it, the way he's got his arms raised over the water as he's walking, it looks like he's make, doing a proud, proud stride into the water, and it's kind of weird. Uh, page 15. It's... <laughs> Now I feel sorry for this guy, and it's terrible that he that the parasite turned him into a vegetable. But the professor, <laughs> when 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 parasite points out that he's drained every thought from the professor's brain, the professor's head gets picked up by the parasite, and he looks at Superman and just has his tongue sticking out, and just eh. And even the next panel, after Superman punches parasite away. And um, the professor's head drops back down. His tongue's still sticking out, and it's it's really funny. I should also point out that this whole fight, you never actually see the power prism. So I don't know where he's got it hidden. I mean, Parasite's costume, it looks like he's basically like naked, except he's got a blue stripe down his chest, and he's wearing like green underwear. So the only thing I can guess is that the underwear is where the prism is, which is kind of gross when you think about it. Yeah. Uh, but overall, I, I thought this was a much better issue than last time. We, we didn't ha I didn't notice too many of the plot hole problems or the, you know, the whole cape issue. Uh, but also, this things were really amping up here. Uh, Parasite actually did something besides gloat twice about what he did previously. We learned what his plans are for this LDS, and Superman gets back in control of things. Unfortunately, his powers are gone, and we've got a terrible way for him to die. Very point, pointed ending to the issue. Uh, I do like that they do have the space shuttle, what appears to be a space shuttle here, even though by this point, I don't think the space shuttle... No, the space shuttle, first launch of a space shuttle was 1982. I think by this point, they had the space shuttle Enterprise which had only made uh, in, uh, I think they call it in-atmosphere test runs, which means that basically they flew it up to a really high height, but still within Earth's atmosphere, not in space, and then had it, basically, they glided it back down and landed it as if it was the shuttle coming in for re-entry. But that's about all they ever did with the Enterprise. It never got launched into space. So, other than test runs, they really hadn't done anything with a space shuttle yet, so it's pretty interesting that they that this appears to be a space shuttle in this issue. I have to look again, because I think by next issue it looks a little different. Uh, but that's really all I've got to say. It was a lot of fun. It, 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 this was a, a really cool issue. I really enjoy it. I love these... I don't normally say this, and it would really probably tick me off if I was reading this real-time. But I am liking these four-part stories. These are really cool. You don't see it too much in the pre-crisis, at least not with Superman. And it, it gives us some really good story that seems to have some lasting implication. The only problem I have is that the last two issues, we haven't seen Lana Lang at all. She's only been in two issues so far. Really. And she hasn't done much in either one. So I'm kind of eager to see when they finally let her do something in the issues.
But that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, next time, it's episode 99, where this four-part story reaches its conclusion and a new supervillain makes his debut. Plus, there's a chance that Dave will tell you about Superman and the alien Starman fighting Mongol, but don't quote me on that. It, I, if he does one, if he's available, if he's able to record one, that's what he'll be doing. If he's not able to record one, well, obviously he won't be doing it. Anyway, uh, I want to thank you all for listening. I hope you all have a great couple of weeks, and we'll see you next time. Bye, everybody. You have been listening to Superman in the Bronze Age, hosted by Charlie Niemeyer and J. David Weeder. Show notes can be found at www.supermaninthebronzeage.com, as well as links to the RSS and iTunes feeds and more. You can also find the show on Stitcher Smart Radio, as well as Facebook, where you can get a little notice whenever a new episode is posted. Superman in the Bronze Age is a proud member of both the Superman Podcast Network at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com and the Comics Podcast Network at www.comicspodcasts.com. Please make sure to check out both sites for more great podcasts. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster and is copyright DC Comics. Thank you so much for listening and God bless. Listen to our show on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iPhone, Android phone, Blackberry, or Palm phones. On demand and on the go. Don't have Stitcher? Download it for free today at Stitcher.com or in the app stores. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio.